Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by... Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Hot Toddy. Good to be with you again, friends. Hope you're uh, enjoying the end of your summer and the beginning of your fall. We are coming back at you with another episode of our new format. Um, We are trying out true crime in the horror film genre. Um by comparing the real cases with the films that we watched. Um, and I really enjoyed the first two that we did. It was supposed to be one episode until we jabbered on for two hours, decided to split that up and make it two episodes. And we talked about uh, Ted Bundy and the Zodiac Killer. So tonight we will be discussing the man known as the Son of Sam or the 44 caliber killer or the Wicked King of Wicker. <laughs> man by the name of David Berkowitz, who terrorized New York in 1977. Yeah, 77, right? Yeah, 66 yeah. and 77. Yeah. 76 and 77. 76 and 77. Sorry, I'm so nervous. <laughs> Guys, I don't think you know how serious Professor takes true crime. <laughs> and when he makes even the slightest mistake in true crime conversations, he goes home and he puts thumbtacks <laughs> in his butt. Oh. <laughs> He whips himself <laughs> over his back. Yes. Like the guy in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> I was thinking the albino and Da Vinci. <laughs> That's what I was curious <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so next time if I show up with bleached eyebrows, you know that things have escalated. <laughs> but uh, uh, along with this conversation, we decided to watch uh, Summer of Sam by Spike Lee, or a Spike Lee joint, if you will. So, why don't we begin by Professor just giving us a little overview of David Berkowitz. Okay, so with David Berkowitz, the time span of his crimes lasted just a little over a year. Um, Obviously, we'll cover before and after that, but uh, the the crux of what has brought us uh, talking about this creature on a podcast started in late July of 76, and uh, basically went up uh, to the end of July of 77 with him being, spoiler alert, apprehended uh, in early August. Um, do we want to do any background on him or kind of just focus on the crimes initially? Uh, background on him, definitely. Okay, so Berkowitz uh, didn't have a traditional, warm, uh, normal upbringing. Uh, he was adopted with lots of complications through life on the genesis of that. Uh, he grew up believing um, that he had killed his mother uh, from being born mm-hmm. and that the mother or the father abandoned him for that reason. Um, as time progressed, he would come to find that that wasn't true, uh, that his mom was very alive and fine. Um, and basically, you just have a pattern of a guy never really seeming to have any comfort in his own skin or, you know, role in society. Um, he had early signs of insecurity and problems in dealing with it. I mean, I remember uh, 
hearing that he had killed his mom's parakeet when he was younger, poisoned it, uh, because it took attention away. He felt abandoned by her, so he poisoned the pet that she loved. Um, kind of a red flag there. But Yeah, yeah. Um, watch this kid. He, uh, but as uh, things went along with that, when, when that mom passed away of cancer, he kind of fell off even further, um, joined the army, uh, ultimately failed at that, was discharged. Um, and you know, it was, it was just kind of a, a, a guy that never really found his footing, um, until he kind of found himself on his own. Um, in New York, spiraling out of control, which is, you know, what the crimes are about. Um, he, there was some earlier things with him, um, an arson, setting fires in the city. Um, and I think that the first thing that he attributed to himself was a stabbing, um, which initially wasn't known about, uh, but I think they were able to corroborate it. I've got the information here. Um, on Christmas Eve of 1975, he said that he used a hunting knife to stab two women. Uh, one alleged victim was never identified p- by police, but the other was teenager Michelle Foreman, whose injuries were serious enough for her to be hospitalized. Uh, Berkowitz was not suspected of these crimes then, um, and soon afterwards, he relocated to an apartment in Yonkers, New York, just north of the city border. Uh, but that leads us up to um, his first shooting that's attributed to him uh, was July 29th, 1976. Uh, Donna Loria and Jody Valenti um, were in the Pelham Bay area of the Bronx at around 1.10 a.m. Um, they were just sitting in the, their car discussing their evening um, about, I think, uh, maybe a discotheque they'd been at or something. Um, but Loria opened the car door to leave and noticed a man quickly approaching the car. Uh, startled and angered by the man's sudden appearance, she said, Now what is this? And before she could even finished the sentence. The man produced a pistol from the bag that he was carrying, uh, and he crouched, braced one elbow on, on his knee, aimed his weapon with both hands, and fired. Loria was struck by one bullet that killed her instantly. Valenti was shot in her thigh, and a third bullet missed both women. The shooter turned and walked away quickly. Uh, Valenti survived her injuries, which that'll be a trend. It seems like you have survivors from some of these incidents, um, and you know some of them maimed, some of them not, but uh, I mean... For those who aren't aware with the Son of Sam, that's the terrifying part is that there was no rhyme or reason to it. It was just somebody in this massive city was just creeping up in the middle of the night and shooting people for no reason. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing leading up to it. There was no confrontation. It was just coming up you know, behind somebody sitting in their car and basically blowing their head off, Yeah, or at least trying to. Uh, let me pause you there. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's hear from uh, Todd and Vinny here a little bit. Um, do you guys? What do you think about the Son of Sam killer? Do you find do you find this scary? Do you find the story scary? Do you find it strange? Where where does the story resonate with you in the pantheon of, of serial killers? I think for me, um, I, I feel like I know less about uh, the Son of Sam. Um, I, I I can't pinpoint the first time I, I had knowledge about him. I'm, I'm thinking that maybe of the film Copycat, where they mention um, his crimes might have been the first time that I'd really heard um, much about him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> kind of like crime-wise, it, it's almost like a... It reminds me a little bit of like Zodiac, I guess. You know, I was going to say, it's funny that we did Zodiac and Bundy first because Berkowitz has similarities to both. 
Um, Berkowitz killed dark-haired women like Bundy. Um, <clears throat> shot them from anonymity like Zodiac. Uh, had early family and mother problems like Bundy. I mean, just interesting. You know, obviously not connected at all, but it's just right. interesting that they shared those similarities. Kind of rooting it, rooted in that sense of not really understanding even who they are, or where they came from, feeling yeah. like this uh, inadequate level of worth. Uh, that's definitely common with Bundy and him. And then the 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 thinking, the arrogance, and the the media interaction is well, T like the Zodiac. I almost yeah. feel like the 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 letters and the like targeting uh, targeting couples like like who are parking um, definitely remind me put me to mind of the Zodiac. I I don't find the son of Sam to be very interesting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I and as I say these things, I'm quick to remind myself and listeners that I understand these are real people. I understand these are awful, awful things. But from an interest standpoint, from the psychology, which is what uh, uh, draws me into these things, I'm just not as intrigued by Berkowitz. I think that while there are similarities to the Zodiac and Bundy, I think that he did not possess the intelligence of either. No. Um, he certainly did not act with the care of Bundy. Bundy's care of cleaning his... The, any evidence he could have left and not leaving anything was there. Berkowitz was sloppy. <laughs> he got slammed by a parking ticket. Yeah, he was just sloppy. Uh, I just, I definitely think it's weird because of the whole uh, insanity side of it. Like the, not that they're not all crazy, but this guy has a certain distinction of crazy of a dog is telling him to go kill people. Which, yeah. That's where, I think if there's intrigue for me, that's where it comes from. Well, that's also, so time period-wise, late 70s, and there's definitely, um, you know, maybe even if the media kind of blew it up more than than what it does, there's there's a satanic element here. Mm -hmm. And it's right before the satanic Satanic panic panic, of the 80s. It probably helped fuel it. Well, and that's the thing, too. Uh, I think if Bundy had not talked about the dog telling him to kill, we probably wouldn't know much you about mean Berkowitz? Him. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> if Berkowitz had... Kill yourself. Had, <laughs> if Berkowitz <laughs> hadn't had this element of the dog telling him to kill people and the satanic thing and you know the demons that kept him up at night, I don't know that we'd be talking about him. I think we would solely for the media okay. reasons. The minute that letter went in, he was going to be talked about. Yeah. Because... Well, and I, as we'll mention, with, and we're not going to detail every single crime, but they quickly realized it was 44 caliber coming from this gun, and, and that coined him the 44 caliber killer. That's what he was yeah. until the letters came in, yep. and he left uh, one at the murder site and referred to himself as this name. And so he instantly put himself into that kind of category, and we discussed that some um, in our first visit to Two Crime with the Zodiac and how a lot of times that can catapult these cases because it fascinates people. Right. And I think in particular with this instance, and maybe this is out there, but the way I view this is I think people have always found this one interesting for every reason but him. Yeah. The, I would agree with the that. The place and the time, which we'll get into, is fascinating. 
I, I the, think I think too uh, that you're mentioning the place, the the fact that yeah, I feel like when you hear a lot of these or, or maybe even fictional things, it's a serial killer who takes over a small town. Like this guy put like New York City on lockdown, right? And so we're at the height of all these interesting things. Why this is going on? Um, we have the sensational letters coming to the media. We have a name for him. I mean, these things all make him interesting. And here's the best part. The crimes aren't as gruesome and sexual as we usually are. So it's more easy for people to get wrapped up in the sleuthing and the sensational side of it without there having to be the same elements that goes along with a lot of true crime. I think that a lot of people gravitated towards this because while he is pretty underwhelming in terms of someone to study and understand the genesis of why they did what they did. Um, The place wasn't. And and that's fascinating. Um, And I think, I think that that's what changes a lot of it. I think that all of the stuff that he threw out there was horseshit. Yep. uh, 100%. And he's walked back most of it at one point or another. This was a hoax. That was a hoax. I think he was an idiot. Yep. And uh, just felt small. And something that's never really discussed that I always thought was interesting, and maybe you guys have heard this somewhere. If it is, if you have, it's just coincidence because I've, I've never really understood why it's not talked about more. Is taxi driver came out mm. it, earlier that year, mm. and you guys know taxi driver well. Yeah, we're oh, yeah. movie fans, so we all do. We got a guy who's normal, nice enough, but insanely insecure, mm-hmm. and evolves after moving to New York City with not fitting in and just kind of caving in on himself more and more and more. Did we mention that he was a marksman in the military as well? Glad you mentioned that. I honestly forgot about it. But so you have this guy that's in the city that kind of caves in on himself. And before we know it, he's tired of of the the shit and piss in the streets and he's going to clean it up. Yeah. Guy put this in his, one of his letters. He's talking about the blood and wine and shit and the gutters and all this stuff. Like, the connections there are crazy to compare it to that. And I just, it's never really a focal point that people compare it to. And Berkowitz himself was a taxi driver. Yeah. At one point. Yeah. I mean, he had, they joke that he had all the jobs of all the crazy people. Yep. Like he was a security guard. He was a postal worker. He was a postal worker. And not just was he a postal worker. He worked on the uh, ZMT machine, which was this, crazy machine that required a lot of focus so things could be done quickly but you had to be there to do it and they say that the zm workers who worked on the zmt machine were more likely to go postal as the old saying was yeah so not only was he a postal worker like the old joke about going Uh postal he worked on the same machine that attributed to a lot of those people Hmm. whether that caused people to kill or not is you know debatable debatable but it just happened that he shared that similarity with those folks as well. Right. But to have a guy, you know, 40 plus hours a week in a position that makes you feel inadequate and unappreciated because jobs like that will do that. If you kind of have to just be a robot and attentive at all times, uh, void of any kind of personal flair or personality, I'm sure it didn't help, yeah. <laughs> you know, with some of the things that he uh, struggled with. Um, you want me to run through real quick the rest of what he did? Not in great detail, but just kind of an overview. When do I get to read the letter? Uh, we'll come We'll come back to that here shortly. So we had, no, unless down. you want to do it earlier. No, no, no. I was going to say, if you Let's were going to do, do it. when we get to it. I was going to say, if you were going to do it in timeline. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we mentioned uh, the first shooting for sure, July 29, 1976. On October 23, 1976, 
he shot Carl De Niro and Rosemary Keenan. Um, and the, with the timeline, it, it seems like it's kind of happening about once a month, once it gets going. Um, with that one, uh, it was another secluded residential area. This one was in Flushing, Queens, next to Brown Park. Uh, Carl and Rosemary were sitting in Keenan's parked car when the windows suddenly shattered. Uh, quote, I felt the car exploded. Uh, Denaro said later, uh, Keenan quickly started the car and sped away for help. The panicked couple did not realize that someone had been shooting at them, even though Denaro was bleeding from a bullet wound to his head. Uh, Keenan had only superficial injuries from the broken glass, but Denaro eventually needed a metal plate to replace a portion of his skull. Uh, neither victim saw the attacker. So there we have one where people are seriously injured. Uh, but at this one, uh, they are able to pull bullets that are embedded in the car and they're starting to connect with the 44 caliber. Um, the following month on November 27, uh, Donna Damasi, 16, a, uh, 16 years old and Joanne Lamino, 18. Uh, they walked home from a movie soon after midnight. They were chatting on the porch, uh, of Lamino's home in Belrose, Queens. Uh, when a man dressed in military fatigues, who seemed to be in his early twenties, approached them and began to ask directions. In a high-pitched voice, he said, can you tell me how to get, but then quickly produced a revolver, so uh, demonstrating his struggles with talking to women. Uh, he shot each of the victims once, and as they fell to the ground injured, he fired several more times, striking the apartment building before running away. So we're starting to develop a pattern here where, where it's kind of happening monthly. Um, happens again in January of 1977 with Christine Freund and John Deal. Um they were, and this happened in Queens. Um, this is where the police made the first public acknowledgement uh, that this was starting to be strung together with uh, similar incidents, uh, 44 caliber. About 7.30 p.m. on March 8th, 1977, Columbia University student Virginia, I apologize, I do not know how to say that last Sorry, name, Vaskarichian. 19 was walking home from school when she was confronted by an armed man. She lived about a block from where uh, she was shot in a desperate mood to defend herself. She lifted her textbooks between her and her, mm. the killer, uh, but the makeshift shield was penetrated. Bullet striking her head and killing her instantly right there. Um, two days later, the press co uh, press conference happens where the NYPD um, declare that this is the same 44 Bulldog revolver uh, that had been firing these shots that killed these people and injured others. Um, the, it continues. It cools off for about a month. Um, April 17th, two more people are sitting in a car near their home in the Bronx, um, only a few blocks from the scene of where the first shooting had happened, uh, when each of them was shot twice. Uh, one died at the scene and the other died at the hospital hours later. And then we have a first Son of Sam letter, uh, which was discovered near the bodies of these two, written mostly in block capitals with lowercase letters and addressed to the NYPD Captain Joseph Varelli. And uh, now for a real treat, we're going to have a dramatization from Grizzly Abner. And I'm going to read it and pronounce the misspelled words as they are. I am deeply hurt by your calling me a women hater. I am not. But I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Beyond our house, some rest. Mostly young, raped and slaughtered, 
They're blood-drained, just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic, too. I can't get out, but I look at the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I am on a different wavelength than everybody else, programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention all police. Shoot me first. Shoot to kill or else. Keep out of my way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many heart attacks. Ugh, me hoot, it hurts, sonny boy. <laughs> I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in Our Lady's house, but I'll see her soon. I am the monster, Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. I love to hunt. Prowling the streets looking for fair game, tasty meat. The women of Queens are the prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt my life. Blood for Papa. Mr. Borelli, sir, I don't want to kill any more. No, sir, no more. But I must honor thy father. I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on earth. Return me to Yahoo's. To the people of Queens, I love you. And I wa want to wish all of you a happy Easter. May God bless you in this life and in the next. And for now, I say goodbye and good night. Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back. To be interpreted as bang, 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 bank, bang. Ugh. Years in murder, Mr. Monster. That is the letter of a crazy man. Right? And scene. Somebody, <laughs> and scene. I, I would like to add, you you must seek Jesus. You must seek help. <laughs> I mean, and that's the funny thing. Uh, Carrie and I were listening uh, to someone else read it. And the fact that he says he's a demon, it's like, demons don't say God bless you at the end. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah, want to make does. love to the world. Oh, want to talk to me, dude. <laughs> You don't tell people what I tell you in privacy. <laughs> um, I just, I know we don't do a lot of that, but I, I felt like that's so crazy. It has to be read. Oh, second to book. hear it out loud. Yeah, it's batshit. Yeah. It is absolutely batshit. Yeah. And no wonder people were terrified. Right. Like, the question this is not is, the words of a cool, collected killer. This this is the letter of a madman. Yeah. Two things. Um, one, do you want to read the letter to Jimmy Breslin? In that his voice. That's too. I mean, if you guys want me to, I will, but I don't want to push the saying, that's, that's right after it. That was May 30th. Um, and also, has anyone else turned on? <laughs> Hard as a rock, man. Because <laughs> that's, that's got the, the famous uh, opening line with that uh, Jimmy Breslin. I, I tell you what, let me read the opening line, and then what he says you can call him. Because this is when he gets into it so much, he's seeking notoriety that he says, oh, you're calling me the 44 killer. Let me give you better nicknames. Yeah. So the opening line, the famous one from his letter to Jimmy Breslin, uh, who was the Daily News columnist. Hello from the gutters of NYC, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Hello from the sewers of NYC, which swallow up these delicacies when they are washed away by the sweeper trucks. Now, wait a minute. Is this Berkowitz, or is this written by Rorschach from The Watchmen? <laughs> right? 
Hello from the cracks in the sidewalks of NYC and from the ants that dwell in these cracks and feed in the dried blood of the dead that has settled into the cracks. JB, I'm just dropping you a line to let you know that I appreciate your interest in these recent and horrendous 44 killings. So, like, that's the intro, right? I mean, this is a guy. So Travis Bickle, like you said, from Taxi mm-hmm. Driver. Uh, but then I'll fast forward here. Um, in their blood and from the gutter, Sam's creation. 44, here are some names to help you along. Forward them to the inspector for use by NCIC. You can call me the Duke of Death, the Wicked King of Wicker, the 22 Disciples of Hell, John Wheaties, Rapist and Suffocator of Young Girls. I like that he gets playful with John Wheaties. Yeah, it's like, which one doesn't belong here? That last one, uh... He's like, yeah, he's like all these epic names. He's like, or you can call me Terry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, it's the it's, proprietor of death, or Eddie. Guys, we, we have to lighten this up. By the way, that's why we joke. We well, have to light, lighten yeah. up this. One thing that I remember too with it's that same letter, it, and it was on this next page here, is his uh, P.S. To Jimmy Breslin, please inform all the detectives working the case that I wish them the best of luck. Keep them digging, drive on, think positive, get off your butts, knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture, I promise to buy all the guys working the case a new pair of shoes if I can get up the money. Son of Sam. Okay, Sam. He's going. He says he's going to buy them all new shoes after yeah. he gets caught. Is he trying to get a contract through Nike? Like yeah. I. Don't... <laughs> Um, oh, it's bonkers. So we go up to June 26, 1977. We have another shooting. Uh, this one's in Bayside, Queens of a Sal and Judy. And they were, again, sitting in a parked car at about 3 a.m., which, no offense, nobody here obviously deserved to get ever hurt no. for sitting in a parked car. But at this point, why are we at 3 a.m. anywhere in the city sitting in a parked car? <laughs> the minute I'm putting that thing in the park, my ass is running up to the front door like – not blaming anybody. I'm and sorry for, they were hurt, but and for people just, who why maybe, are you victim shaming right now? Oh, people who may I not, heard. people who may not, who may be listening, who may not have been alive near this time, we need to remind people what New York was in the '70s. I think, yeah. Definitely. yeah. Um, should we? Should it we is pay? not the same as what New York is now. New York is Disneyland now. Um, do we want to, when do you want to paint a picture of New York? Do you want to finish the story? I say it's just finish the crimes. We're almost okay, there. Finish the crimes and let's paint a picture of New York because it is vastly different. Yeah. Um, so we have another shooting there on June 26th in Bayside, Queens. Um, they had actually, one of the victims said, told the police that the young couple had been discussing the Son of Sam case only minutes, minutes before the shooting. Uh, neither one of them had seen their attacker, but two witnesses reported a tall, dark-haired man in a leisure suit fleeing from the area. One claimed to see him leaving a car and even supplied a partial license plate number. Uh, another reported described a blonde man with a mustache who drove from the scene in a Chevy Nova. So, hopeful on the eyewitnesses there. Um, we go a little over a month later, July 31st, 1977. Uh, the first anniversary of the initial 44 caliber shootings were approaching. Police had established a sizable dragnet that emphasized past hunting grounds in Queens and the Bronx. However, the great and final 44 shooting occurred in Brooklyn. Uh, Stacy Moskowitz and Robert Violante 
Boat 20 were in his car, which was parked under a streetlight near a city park in the neighborhood of Bath Beach. They were kissing when a man approached within three feet of the passenger side of the car and fired four rounds, striking both victims in the head before he escaped into the park. Moskowitz died several hours later in the hospital. Uh, Violante survived, although he lost vision in one eye and retained very limited vision in the other. Um, this crime produced more witnesses than any of the other Son of Sam murders. There was one direct eyewitness who was not an intended victim. Uh, during the shooting, 19-year-old Tommy Zeno was parked with his date three cars in front of them. Moments before the shooting, he uh, caught a peripheral gl glimpse of the shooter's approach and happened to glance in the rearview mirror just in time to see the shooting. He saw the perpetrator uh, for several seconds due to the bright streetlight and full moon and later described him um, as being 25 to 35 years old of average height with shaggy hair. Um, said it looked like a wig. Uh, about a minute after a shooting, a woman seated next to her boyfriend in his car on the other side of the city, uh, city park, saw a white male um, running with a light-colored cheap nylon wig, uh, sprinting from the park and entering a small light-colored auto. And the only reason I'm detailing all this is this is basically the end. Okay. Um, and so we have more witnesses here. Um, and basically... Without going down every single detail of that final incident, um, what happens is we have suspicion um, through the area on, I don't know if it's a different date. Yeah, sorry. On August 9th, 1977, um, a man is acting squirrely. He's out. Um, a woman walking her dog uh, at the scene of where the shooting had been previously, the one I was just mentioning. Um she saw him ticketing a car and reported that. And they were able to piece it together basically by four tickets that were handed out in the area um, and went and looked into him. And when they did, I mean, they went out and talked to each of the four people that they had wrote the tickets for. And when they got to him, there was no poker. Uh, he literally was like, I was wondering when you show up. <laughs> you and, they were, and they were like, oh, yeah. Oh, he was like, well, I'm the son of Sam. I mean, it was, there was no climax to this. There was no shootout or, or great uh, moment that yeah. drug it out. They literally got him on a parking ticket. Yeah, especially because in his first letter, he's like, you will have to kill me. And then they show up and he's like, what took you so long? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. So to segue into the film and what I think makes the film great. Um, did we did we say oh yeah we did we did say what movie we were talking about I can't yeah, remember yeah. if we did so the segue into the film of what I think makes the film great is we got to paint this picture of New York City because if anything that's what the film does best uh, so New York City at the time I want to I want to share this this factoid um, in 1976-1977 comparison wise right now New York City experiences about 400 murders a year. That's right now. That's 2016-17. About 400 murders a year. I mean, you're talking about one of the biggest cities on the planet, mm -hmm. and it only has 400 murders a year. That's pretty good, right? Yep. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right? During 1976 and 1977, New York City experienced 2,000 murders wow. a year. <clears throat> wow. What about it? It was about as grimy as it gets. Two thousand murders a year. Yeah. That's unreal. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is, is that prior to Jason taking Manhattan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't even want to talk about those numbers. <laughs> talk about how high things got hit. But, you know, um, it was just a dirtier city back then. For, for what whatever anybody will say about Rudy Giuliani now. Right. Rudy Giuliani cleaned up New oh, York. Big time. Big time. He really did. In the 1980s when they filmed Muppets Take Manhattan, three Muppets tragically lost their lives. <laughs> <in> the, <film. laughs> the rest got diseases. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you think, about, Piggy got hurts. <laughs> you think about Times Square now. And Times Square is just this majestic scene to behold. Uh, tourist, tourist I do traps, love. Uh, you know? I, do like, love, I do love old films when you see, like, like especially like Times Square and stuff where it's like, just sex store after sex store, yep, yeah. like like the Howling and um and Basket Case, yeah, and, you name it, yeah, 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 yeah. Like any of these, it's, it's just it's very seedy. Yeah, oh yeah. Which is why I don't want to go there now because it's cleaned up. So, well, yeah, <laughs> and that's the funny thing. Like, you know, all those films we watched growing up were what made me scared to visit New York <laughs> the first mm-hmm. time. And I went to New York the first time, and I explored the city by myself. I went to four different boroughs, four of the five, never felt in danger for a moment. And I'm saying some nights I was out till three or four in the morning. Never felt I think in we moment. went growing up maybe five different family trips to New York City. Yeah. I can I can definitely say that the New York that I visited last year is not the New York I went to as a kid. Yeah. Like it is completely different. I mean that especially back when this was going on, we're like it's kind of like the like the epicenter of exploit, exploiting and just sin, and it's just I mean it was like the Wild West in many ways. It really was. It just crammed into this insanely large city with large quantities of people. But I mean at the same time, because I think when people describe it, it's easy to get lost in all the the reasons you would have wanted to be there. Yeah. But I mean you have uh, the most culture. I mean the city's just exploding with all these other things. But at the same time. You have the the underbelly of it, and it's all mixed together at this point by the 70s. Because before, obviously, you had a lot of crime due to crammed, impoverished conditions with immigrants at the turn of the century. And so there was always some of those angles of organized crime and other things that came up there. Um, just by having a, you know that that sheer amount of desperate people mm-hmm. in a place that large, but there's also all of the success and prestige that that city has. And yeah. one thing they all have in common is that New York tough pride. Right. And so you, by the seventies, it's like they're all there and they're prominent and they're just all mixed together. And that I think is what is so fascinating about it. Yeah. Is that like you could go to the Met or you could go to Forty Second Street and watch a porno, yeah. and there was going to be a shit ton of people at either one of them. And Didn't you're only matter. a few subway stops apart. Exactly. Yeah. And so it was. It's just a very interesting time in general. Uh, this time period, especially seventy seven, is very popular uh, because they say that's the year punk exploded in America. Nineteen seventy seven is like the big time that punk music is happening and it was a big turning point and part of it's because of this pressure cooker but punk wasn't just happening in new york but that was like the spearhead of new york yeah. dc and cbgb's um, yes cbgb was huge. a big deal and we get that portrayed in the film with adrian brody which we'll talk about later but uh you know the city is experiencing blackouts um electricity wise um it's one of the hottest summers on record when, when things are going on. And even now in New York, I've not been in New York, 
my brother lived in New York, but he would recount to me how a lot of buildings don't have air conditioning. No. They're old. It would cost a lot to put them in. And on these, all, you got the sun bouncing off all of this concrete. And it's, you'd be soaked through your shirt sitting next to somebody in a bar. And nobody blinks because it's just New York. And this was yep. one of the hottest years on record in the late, late 70s. I remember going out with friends and, you know, this is my first trip to New York about three years ago, uh, four years ago. Um, and we're out and it's the same thing. I'm there in August. Uh, we went out for my birthday and I'm like, I'm going out with people who, you know, they're going, you know, I'm a bald guy. I don't have to do my hair or anything like that. I'm, and I'm you know, I'm just kind of a slacker kind of guy. So I'm just wearing a t-shirt, but some of my friends are trying to do their hair up and put on like a button up shirt. And it's August in New York city. And I mean, by the end of the night, they're sitting there. Their hair looks like a mop because it's just soaking wet. All of our shirts are soaked through. And just like you said, no one mentions a word yep. about it. No one blinks. Everyone is hot, sweaty, and disgusting. Yep. And just it's like part of it. This is this is what we're doing. Yep. Uh, <laughs> oh, by the way, this bar's having ten dollar beer night. That's where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, I would say, uh, Professor, you're uh, you're a sports guy more than the rest of us. Uh, you know quite a bit about the the Yankees historically. What was going on with the the Yankees during this time? They were good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you got into um, Reggie Jackson getting yes. into historic performances uh, with right. the World Series. Um, but everybody was excited um, with them. I mean, obviously, the Yankees have had plenty of successes at up and ups and downs. But I think the interesting thing with that is that the city kind of kind of distracted themselves with it because of all of the things we're mentioning. Yeah. And obviously, the crime as well, the serial killer. But um and did we mention the fires in the Bronx? Yeah. They had huge fires. No, no, we didn't. Um, so there's just all kinds of shit going wrong. And then you, but you got your Yankees. And Reggie Jackson had a historic run through the World Series. I think they won in Game Six with him having like three or four home runs. Yeah, I mean, just, just something that. Slam. And they came up with the term Mister October because of it. So I mean, they kind of punctuated a shitty run uh, with him and that team yeah. as kind of them getting through it, um, and also. It's important to mention disco and kind of the counter clash uh, yeah, punk with punk yeah. because disco is frequently thought of as the 70s, but it's really the late 70s into the early 80s. Right. And so you kind of had Studio 54 and CBGB's, the, both these historic venues for these movements and music. Just polar opposites. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and they're both right there in New York City while all this is going on. Yeah, they hated each other. Yep. Yeah. Uh, last few things I'll mention here, and then we'll get on to the film because we need to get moving. Um, Elvis died in 77. Yep. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's about it. You know, I just want to list a few more things about Berkowitz. Sorry, notes are just a little uh, jumbled here, and then we'll get to the film. But uh, one interesting thing about Berkowitz, uh, Jewish until he converted later in life to Christianity. Very rare for serial killers. Yeah. Very rare. Uh, he was adopted, not uncommon for serial killers. Um, early head trauma, part of the big three, when there, there are three contributing factors. I'm trying to, I can't remember what they all are. They say early head trauma is one of them. Um, and the last thing I would like to say is one detective said that talking to Berkowitz was like talking to a head of cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> and that made me giggle. So. <laughs> that man went on to invent. The Cabbage Patch Kid. <laughs> Little known fact. Thank you. 
it kind of looks like a Cabbage Patch Kid. How about the neck on He that looks guy? more like a Garbage Pail Kid. <laughs> garbage Pail Kid. Well, based on New York at the time, that would be accurate. I don't know where we are right now. <laughs> uh, anything to say about the real life before we get to the movie? Just um, a fascinating time. I, I feel like it's hard not to talk about real life without... Because to me, the... If we're kind of going into it already, uh, my first viewing was when the movie first came out on video. Okay. Um, I was I liked the movie and I was but I was disappointed. Um, watching it for this now, I feel completely different. But I think I just kind of um, I was sold that it's a serial killer movie, mm-hmm. and it's if you're going into that, it's really not. It's more about the characters and and it's really the time period and all that's going on to these characters in the time period in New York. So just so happens that with brownouts and blackouts and, and punk and, and 54 and, and sex clubs and everything else, there was also the son of Sam. Um, and unfortunately the movie wasn't really sold that way. So the first viewing of it, I just kind of, the fact that it didn't go in and wasn't about a serial killer. I was, I was slightly disappointed. Mm -hmm. Um, but to me, it's kind of like um, it's more about the time period. It's kind of weird because uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that's coming out, um, I guess next year with Tarantino. It sounds like you know when it first was built, it's like oh they're making a movie about Manson. Tarantino is, and then when you hear about the movie, it's actually the time it's about period being in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, that was happening. It's a good point. Which which also while I'm bringing it up. Um, rewatching this movie, I'm like, man, this is like one of Spike Lee's masterpieces. Oh, it's, my, uh, it's the, mo- the movie Spike bombed Lee. in theaters. Uh, they, they complained about the acting. They complained about all the stuff. And I'm just going to say it. If this movie said Quentin Tarantino or Martin Scorsese, it would have won a shit ton of awards mm-hmm. and got all kinds of stuff. But because I think Spike Lee was the writer director that this movie is greatly unnoticed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. It's my favorite Spike Lee film. Um, so the movie is Summer of Sam. <laughs> what, uh, what year did it come out? 1999. 1999. As we said, the film is more about the period. It's a period piece. Uh, plays into it. Oh, yeah. It's depicted in it as it, well. I mean, you get to see a lot of the kills. But the emphasis is on the everyday people in yeah. this climate. Yeah. And, and and it does have kind of a of a, a who's who now of I was gonna say is anybody got the cast? I have like the main. So uh John Leguizamas, Adrian Brody, Mira Servino, Jennifer Esposito, uh Michael Rispoli, uh <laughs> Bebe Newworth. Um uh, I never thought Ravioli. I'd see Bebe Newworth like getting ready to take it in the butt, but uh thank you. <laughs> uh, we get to see uh, Patty Lapone's titties. Yeah, I was not expecting that. <laughs> I remember the Nor first I. time I saw that, I was <laughs> like, "Huh?" Well, I was like, "Not bad." Uh, Mike Starr, uh, Anthony Lapaglia, and of course Spike Lee because he's in all those movies. Um, and really, like that's just that's the essential. There's there's still a ton of uh, of people in this movie that that go on to be in other stuff or are pretty big. This is the first time I had ever seen the movie. Uh, I am not a Spike Lee fan. Uh, and let me preface that by saying I am a longtime Indiana Pacers fan. And so as a result, I do not like Spike Lee <laughs> because of the heat with him and Reggie Miller back in the 90s. I don't like him. Uh, so I don't typically watch his movies. And I really am annoyed by John Leguizamo. 
Oh, I can't. Say I that. do not I like him it. as an actor. He's um, but he is good in this movie. I will say that he stole it. Um, he is good in this movie. All of that being said, I enjoyed this movie. Um, I didn't. I didn't. With all my misgivings prior, I didn't really expect to, but I did. I did like it. I did like the movie. So, as a first-time viewer, I did enjoy it. Good. Good. I, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I actually love Spike Lee. However, and I can't remember the time period. Spike Lee kind of, there's a time period where I started hating Spike Lee because of um, him slamming Tarantino and slamming Clint Eastwood and, and, and mainly for the use of like the N-word, which, you know, I get where he's coming from. But at the same time, if you watch Spike Lee movies, he very poorly portrays the homosexual community and you hear fag use quite a bit when referring to these characters. Um, so I think that's kind of a turnoff I have with Spike Lee. But again, this is like one movie where, um, man, I don't think you can get, there's not this many movies that have such a diverse community of people, right. which plays into the movie because anybody that's a little different, they automatically are, are putting on their list as that they, they are the, the killer son of Sam. Yeah. The, uh, one thing that I noticed that I did like is they had they had the one gay character on there. What was it? Uh, was it Johnny or something like that? Who they all were shitting on and you know using slurs at him. Until but, somebody but the minute someone else fucked with him, mm-hmm. they all went to go whip an ass on his behalf. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with like the the guy's sister. You know, everybody. Yeah. You know that guy drops her off, and you know they're like. What the fuck? That's my fucking sister. And then they're like, "What have you been doing, you fucking whore?" You yeah, know? yeah, like, yeah. They're like, "Oh, we can abuse her." Mm-hmm. I'll be damned if you do. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, the film does great with uh, portraying the shootings graphically. I mean, I think the shootings that take yeah. place in the film without, but without being, you could go further with that if you really wanted to. Sure, you could I would be say shocking. You could be gorier with it if you wanted to. But sometimes less being more, you don't you don't see a lot of detail. But what you do see, it definitely has an impact on you the way it's presented because it's it's not really too Hollywood. It is very realistic of what you would see if you were witness to it. I, I think I, mean? I think a, a scene in that I can think of is is the student like that to me was very disturbing that she just had nothing. She all she had Held to do was up. just put her books up. And it yeah. could have been it could have been gorier, but to me the scene was more effective. The way right. no, I totally agree. yeah. Have Have you put your two cents on the film yet, Professor? I have not. Let's... I don't like to interrupt people. <laughs> Let you guys rock. It's fun. Um, well, for starters, uh, there's a documentary. I think it was called NY seventy seven, the coolest summer in hell. Yeah. Um, if I've, you want, I've downloaded it, but I haven't watched it. Yeah, it it covers all this greatly. So if you really want to get kind of more deeper on the history aspects of it, I would recommend that. Uh, as for my history with this film, um, I absolutely hated this movie when it came out, uh, partially because I was too young for it. Um, I wanted a serial killer movie. I thought that it was marketed as that, and that's what I wanted. And when that was just you know, a slice of it, I felt ripped off, um, okay. and I was really harsh on it. But again, I would have been like 18 when this yeah, came out. Right. Um, since then, I have come to love it. I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, and I have immense respect for the narrative that he spun 
to kind of go around and tag every single important thing without it seeming like too much. Yeah. Like, you know, the little things like having them pull up and the disco to come to support their friends out in front of CBGB's been saying, hell no, this is not for us. And then go off. To the club. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just like they, he found ways. I mean, it helped when you have the clout that he had at that point for a two hour, 20 minute movie. You yeah. can kind of do whatever the hell you want. Right. Um, but seriously, like the way that it covers all of it is just, it's fantastic. It's organic. And, and he was so into his own story um, and prepared for it that he didn't force things like directors will a lot of times, especially if a studio interferes. The fact that he would take Bob O'Reilly and yeah. use that for a montage instead of something more aggressive or something more over your head obvious to go along with those sequences, just moments like that let you know that a director is in complete control and comfortable with the story he's telling yeah. because he has, he, I mean, he nailed every little thing like this. Now I think at the end of the day, a hundred years from now, do the right thing will be what he's celebrated for, but this is an excellent film. Yeah. And I think that what's most fascinating about it is that you brought in a guy that, you know, you could say obviously is an auteur and has his own style of making a film that you clearly can see when it's one of his films but it, it doesn't overshadow the story he's telling in this. And so you take a guy who specializes in making movies about neighborhoods in New York and say, and have him make a movie about the craziest goddamn summer in New York City with a serial killer. And he nails it. That's just all of it. And so it's like if you know that going into this, I don't see how anybody could be disappointed with the film. Mm -hmm. The problem initially when it came out is everybody thought it was a serial killer movie. Yeah. But this perfectly illustrates what we were talking about earlier. He's not that interesting, and neither was yeah. his case. The effects that it had on the people and the community that it was in is more interesting, and that's what this movie is. I think we, you made. I think you made the right choice by by if if it would have been the focus on Berkowitz, if it, it, it would have been probably would have got up and walked out. Oh yeah, if it would have been a serial killer movie, it would have been an hour and a half and pretty lackluster, boring. Yeah. And honestly, there's a TV movie already made. With uh, Martin Sheen, I think it was called Out of the Darkness. If you just want a straightforward story of the case, that's out there. But I, I really can't stress enough how great they do that mm -hmm. in a way that I, I can't remember when it came out. Uh, the Black Dahlia murder. Mm -hmm. I think the movie is just called Black Dahlia. Yeah. Like they did the same 2000s. thing much less successfully because that's really about the time and the place also. Yeah. I, I think what saves this, and, 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 you know, I don't, I guess listening to you talk about it, and this is Spike Lee grew up in New York City. Um, he was born in 57. So he would have been in his 20s when this is going on. And and these are the neighborhoods that he was living in. So he's probably a lot of this is stuff he experienced. Yeah. Um, that's probably why I like the Black Dahlia movie, but it was boring. And I think that's what this movie has going for it is someone that experienced what it was like to live in New York City during this time period. Um, it's like I hate to say love letter because. Because, you know, this isn't Spike Lee's first movie about New York. It is, but... though. It's a love letter, but a badge of honor. Yeah. Like, we we, we were here for this. Yeah. And I, this I, happened. I think if somebody else would have done this movie, it, it wouldn't have been. Like, like again, after getting my past at the initial disappointment of my first watching, that it's not a focus on, uh, you know, they kind of sold the movie, to be honest, like another seven. Because it was a couple years later. Yeah. Um, and it was it's, it's nothing. It's no, it was poor marketing, yeah. in my opinion. Once you get past this, it's a great movie. And I think of anybody else, but like maybe somebody like Spike Lee, 
Because um, even Scorsese, Scorsese's New York, he's older. I think having a young, like, the fact that he was in his 20s when all of this shit happened, I don't know, it just makes it a better movie. And I can't say enough about the casting of this movie, top to bottom. Yeah. The casting in this movie was fantastic. Fanta- and again, I don't like John Leguizamo. I like him. I and read he something was, about him he was, this. He was fantastic in this movie. Blew yeah. my mind. I might have been IMDb trivia. It might have been an article. I don't remember, but I read somewhere that he wasn't originally the lead, and he kept stealing scenes and improvising and doing extreme things in the moment that Lee started scripting more stuff for him, huh. and he basically kind of took over as the the centerpiece. It of kind the of movie. seems like Adrian Brody would have been the main. Adrian yeah. Brody was the original driving force, the guy that comes back with all the punk rock to the old neighborhood. Yeah, and Leguizamo was so damn good that he just kept building him up, add more to it's it. Amazing that he's never done that since or before. <laughs> yeah, I, I beg to Bronx. offer to Wong Fu. Yeah. But yeah, like there, I, there's a scene where he dumps the coffee on his boss's head. Mm-hmm. She didn't know that was coming. I mean, some <laughs> out of line shit, but yeah. it got great scenes. Oh yeah. These stories are always more interesting after the fact on set. I'd probably roll my eyes. Is that the same woman who plays Lilith and Frazier? Yeah. yeah. I thought so. Yep. <laughs> um, I like that they did uh, the women dyeing their hair yep. because that was something yep. that the girl, the ladies did. You yep. know, they're like, "Oh well, he's going after uh, brunettes. Going to dye my hair blonde or, yep. or put on a blonde wig." I, I, I like that. You know, they, you, the beginning of the movie, they're in a packed disco, and then they go back to the disco, and it's like, "Where the hell is everybody?" Yeah, and it, it, again, it's a, a big city, and and people, people are staying scared. in because they're yeah. so fucking scared. Which we see a lot in horror films, but it's you know, it's like Woodsboro or you know, all these small towns that are affected like this, not New York City. Yeah, um, I really like uh, that we get the spiral out of control with some of the vigilante justice. You know, they're yes. like, we're going to protect our neighborhood. Which stress yes. that kind of stresses me out more than like knowing that he's going to the serial killer is coming. Yeah, to know because that. you know they're they're just. Pfft. I'm in a way I'm kind of surprised that the uh, was it the anti uh, defamation Italian. Group did not go after him for the way the Italians were yeah. portrayed in that neighborhood in this movie. I love when they like rough up the priest to check his car and everything, and they're like, when they get done, they go, "Okay, Father, <laughs> give us a blessing." He's like, "What? <laughs> you know, give us a blessing." <laughs> so he's, I love his blessing too. He's like, "Forgive them; they know not what they do." <laughs> yeah, right. Um. I, I think is, is the talking dog was done as well as it could have been That's done. That's so freaky. Like, like it's it's out of place, but it's not because it. My only problem is I kind of wish he hadn't put it in there at all. Yeah. Because of the clarification after the fact. Like by the time this movie was made, I think even Berkowitz yeah. had said that was horse shit. Yeah. The dog never. I never thought a dog talked to me. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I I have read that later Berkowitz was diagnosed as a schizophrenic. Yeah. I was yeah. gonna say, in fairness, too, if we're trying to portray what the city knows. And they would have learned about that afterwards. Sure. That was part of the lore for many yeah, yeah, years. Yeah. So I mean, it's yeah. it's certainly still understandable why. You I like I like it. the movie. the The movie bookends with the the mayor talking about the shit show the, of of the time period, and it, it's like that's the, oh no, that was Jimmy Breslin. That's, yeah, I was gonna oh, say that's it? the guy that got the letter. Oh, okay, my bad. Yeah, that was, I thought it was like the mayor. No, that was the real guy that got the letters. Mayor. In real life. Okay. Yeah, which is pretty cool that Spike Lee brought him in for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um. And I like that uh, Berkowitz was played by the guy that played Babyface Nelson in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just to close here, um, we've said p- 
plenty about the movie. But just to close on Berkowitz, as it came out, um, yeah, he pretty much came out, as you said, and said everything. You know, most of it was horseshit. He was schizophrenic. He was lonely. He was all these things we've said. Um, and, and basically, well, it took he a good. Canted and said he was part of a cult even after that. I, like, but he's then he went back story. on that. I just, four times. I just saw a special today where where they're mentioning the cult and and that he wasn't alone. And well, and that's one of his things when he says, "You can call me the twenty-two disciples of Satan." They're like, "Well, who are the rest of them?" You know, like yeah. it, it was all part of it. But yeah, it took it just really took like one good investigator to come in and be like, "So you're full of shit, right?" Yeah. And he's like, uh, "Yeah, you know, like." <laughs> Um, my bad, <laughs> my bad dog. But now, you know, he's turned his life around. He's a, uh, he's a born again Christian and uh, he actively does not seek parole. When his parole board meets, he says, I don't deserve to be paroled. And that's interesting about him because most people you would think would put on this act. I'm going to be and, a dissenting voice here and I'm going to say, all he has is time. What else is he going to do? Yeah, it's easy to be Mister Jesus and walk the straight and narrow. Well, and that's the point. But it's interesting that he doesn't yeah. see because most people are going to act right. like I'm religious now. You should let me out of jail. Yeah. Whereas he's like, I'm religious now, but I'm going to mess some people up probably again. Yeah, like, don't and I, yeah. even if I don't, I'm I lost my right. Yeah, and I'm not defending his yeah, newfound right. faith, no, but especially since now that he's like, I am not the son of Sam. I am the son of Hope. I'm like, well. How about no, bud? It's going to be the uh, the Lifetime sequel to yeah. Son of Sam. Right. Right. So, for a, for a case that's not that interesting, uh, we got a good film out of it, I yeah. would say. And yeah. I, I, don't, I still don't know if this is true. I've never really been able to find anything that explains it. But supposedly, he set out to make the film originally as a just straight-up serial killer film. Mm-hmm. And victims, family members raised hell when really? they when they caught wind of it being announced to the point where they pushed back and he said we'll make it about all of it cool because they didn't want they thought they didn't want it glorified yeah you know what i mean mm-hmm. but i don't know if that's true that might be you know one of those horseshit mm-hmm. internet things but I've, I've seen that at times but i i mean i can't recommend this enough if you're interested and you want to learn about some of the things we mentioned going on in the summer I mean, it's, it's it's a really rewarding I'm, view. I'm always fascinated with, like, this time period anyways. And, and again, every, like, there's just so much that's going on. And the film captures almost, like, everything. Yeah, like, checks all of them. Yep. All right. Cool. Anything else to say? I was just going to say, they painted stuff on some of the buildings for the movie that's still in New York to this day. Really? And next time I visit, I'd like to go find it. Like, the street where they hang out and read the paper and smoke. Uh-huh. And they painted the Italian flag. That's a Jewish neighborhood. Huh. But they still left the Italian colors down there. The nightclub they're at where it's painted on the wall. That was just a warehouse. They left the, the name of the, the nightclub. It's still painted on the wall there. Like to well, this day. I'll be. I thought that was kind of cool. That, that there's is cool. still remnants of the movie. Yeah. Very cool. Right on. Well, uh, another fun episode. I, I, I'm enjoying this true crime story mixed with movie combo. And, and look forward to the next one. So... Friends, please comment uh, on Facebook or Instagram. Let us know what you think about the true crime series and maybe who you want us to cover next. And uh, if you got a second, please uh, give us a rating and maybe even a review if you would be so kind. It helps us out, and we just uh, really appreciate you listening to the show and, and just want to give you some content that you want. So 
signing off for the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by... Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Hot Toddy. Stay scary. Everything you say inside of Sam, oh my God! <laughs>